Recently, our kids have gotten introduced to the strange and unpleasant feeling of being out in the cold for several hours and then coming into the warmth and jumping into the shower and the shift is so severe as the blood rushes to the surface of your skin that it feels like you're burning. It's so funny to hear them describe this phenomena for the first time as if it's only ever happened to them and something has gone drastically wrong. My hands and my feet are burning, make it stop. I wonder if Jesus was experiencing something like this kind of whiplash, whether it was like thermometric whiplash or some other sort of whiplash. I wonder if having a body like ours, if he shivered when he ascended from the waters of being baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River and the dove came down and the divine voice of pleasure alighted him. He went down in those waters, those, those primordial waters of recreation. But remember, those waters probably just look like the same old brackish river to most. And when he went down, he went down with us sinners. He, he went down into that watery grave. He came close to death. He came close to all of us who suffer and sin and feel lonely and anxious and sick and sad and sinking. And then he came up. And when he came up out of those waters, he brought us with him once and for all. Life where there was once death, possibility out of the impossible, intimacy in ministry out of separation. Then out of those gasping cold waters, Jesus enters into the frying pan of testing in the wilderness. He had a 40-day season of lack and uncertainty and hunger. This wasn't like a vegan January or a no alcohol January. This was a 40-day season of suffering. I always think of those scenes from Looney Tunes where the hungry person looks at their friend and all they see is like a walking roasted turkey. I wonder if in Jesus's lack, he felt something like this, hallucinating uh, out of his desire for his body to keep going. Remember, this must have been an altogether new experience for him because although we might assume he had a a somewhat normal Nazarene childhood. Maybe he, like most kids, begged for snacks in the middle of the afternoon. He had previously sent, spent the bulk of infinity in league with the Father and the Son, experiencing no lack at the fountainhead of mutuality and abundance. But now he was in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for a day, for every year of Israel's wandering. And I wonder if he wondered if God was still there. That's what it often feels like in the wilderness. In this extended COVID season, <clears throat> with its fatigue and its malaise and the uncertainty that it might never end, I wonder if this was a bit of the feeling of Jesus in the wilderness. When might this feeling end? And yet, Jesus chooses faithfulness over easy gain. He chooses the best 
of trust and confidence and obedience to God over the good of quick fixes and silver bullets and even a measure of self-care, which we wouldn't blame him if he took. Jesus is stubbornly and unspectacularly committed to life with God, even when flash and fame is possible, even when there's a shortcut in sight. Jesus uses no cheat codes out there in the wilderness, even when he's encountered by Satan who wants to give him an easy out. And now this whiplash continues as he comes out of the wilderness and back to the worship gathering, as Layla just read. He stands up and he preaches. Recently, I, I came across a story of <coughs> the great preacher Eugene Peterson. Some of you might know him as the translator for The Message or from his pastoral theology books. And he died in the last couple years. And his son told the story of Eugene Peterson, this faithful, lifelong preacher in Presbyterian churches in Maryland and Montana. And he, he confessed late in his life how he, he had so many people in his congregations fooled for the 30 years um, that he preached in these congregations because they always thought he was preaching something new. He said that they must have thought that he was like a magician in a long black robe hiding so much in his ample sleeves that he brought something fresh every week just for them. He goes, and his son reflected, he said, for, the, for 50 years, his dad would come into his room at night and whisper softly to his sleeping head, even later as an adult when he would visit him. And he said the same message over and over, and this was Eugene Peterson's same message in every sermon. He said, I didn't have 30 years of sermons. I had one sermon, and the message was, God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. 30 years, he had one sermon. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. God is relentless. I think Jesus here, as he stands up uh, <coughs> in the temple and preaches what we, uh, what we know as his first sermon from Isaiah 61, is setting the pace for a career of embodying and proclaiming the good news of God. He's got one sermon, and this is it. Good news to the poor, release to the prisoners, sight to the blind, Released to the oppressed in a year of the Lord's favor, jubilee. When Jesus opens the scroll and he stops here, he stops here on purpose. And, and when he finishes his, his sermon, he stops where he stops. And the rest of the congregation continues to hear because they have this well worn, deeply grooved prophetic imagination with what he would have said had he kept going in Isaiah 61. Comfort to those who mourn provision for Zion's grieving, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of despair. And he would have said they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of God's beauty. This past week, I I had the opportunity to present a workshop at the Ecclesia National Gathering, and it was about us. <clears throat> it was about this life 
that we're cultivating together. It was called Creating Cultures of Beauty, an Artful Church. And I talked about over the years, and I showed all of, <coughs> all of these slides from some of the arts projects that we've done together, many of them without a single author, community arts projects. The front panels um, on the church that say hope, healing, and hospitality in Christ that we started to make right when the pandemic set in and, and there was a picture of, of the hope panel was the only one finished by that first Easter in 2020. And, and I remember neighbors sending emails to me or pulling their cars over and taking pictures by that small artistic witness of hope in our midst in a time that was so hopeless in a time that might still be so hopeless. And in telling the story of, of our church and this culture of beauty, this culture of creativity and participation, of, of patience, um, and of being able to perceive the good news and embody and envision uh, beauty, to have an imagination for what God is doing in our midst with us, all of us, um, I couldn't help but, but recognize all of these pivots that were happening in the ways that we have repeatedly chosen to respond to those pivots by, by being generative and creating and recognizing beauty around us. Um, and those slides are pictures of, of Sadie's envisioning of parking lot church before it even happened. We had an empty, unpaved parking lot, and then, of course, it got paved, and then she sketched all of these people, all of us, worshiping outside together after being apart on Zoom for so long. And then the next slide was all of us doing that, and it was so beautiful. And so as Jesus <coughs> preaches his one sermon, good news to the poor, release to the prisoners and oppressed and sight to the blind and jubilee. This is our vision. This is a reality that is still possible in the midst of such an uncertain uh, season, an extended season, possibly endless season that feels like wilderness. Maybe that's where you're at right now in this liminal moment. Maybe you're negotiating where you've been and who you are and who you can imagine yourself to be. Maybe you're not really sure how these things connect or how to bridge who you've been to who you want to become or who God is calling you to become. Maybe you're not sure what the faith you've inherited or known has to do with any of it. If that's where you're at right now, if maybe you're just in a season of fatigue, if that's where you're at right now, welcome to the wilderness. The good news is that Christ has already been there. That is the epiphany good news. And I love that this epiphany season, all of our readings have something to do with, with the way that Jesus continues to come to us in the church. The, the waters of baptism. Last week, the uh, communion feast at the wedding of Cana as Jesus turns the ordinary water into extraordinary wine. And, and this week, <coughs> Jesus continues to come to us in the proclamation of his word, in the good news spoken to the poor, in the good news spoken to us. 
So if you're in that season, welcome to the wilderness. Jesus has already been there and he came out starving, but in one piece. It's possible. He came out, quote, in the power of the spirit. And because he did, you can, because we share that same spirit. Paul reminds us the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. We have access to it. It gives life to our human bodies. An epiphany happens in this disorienting, strange, fearful, lonely place of wilderness. But out of that, Jesus emerges with a certain clarity, with a mission. From that time of scarcity and testing and whiplash, where is <laughs> like my kids, where I'm sure his body didn't quite feel right after that time in the wilderness. But after that, Jesus emerges with one sermon. And it's the same sermon that he still preaches over us, each of us and all of us together. Good news. Maybe it's, it's the same type of sermon that Eugene Peterson preached to us. So friends, Hear the good news that God loves you. God's on your side. God's coming after you. God's relentless. Will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. That you go before us always. We've never stepped into a room that you haven't already um, been in and prepared for us. We thank you for your spirit that wraps around us and um, takes care of us, that converts our groans into words that you hear and respond to, that connects our hearts with those who rejoice and those who grieve. And Lord, we thank you for this vision of hope and healing and hospitality that you've called us to experience first and to offer to each other and to our neighbors, to those who are hurting around us. Thanks for giving us everything we need. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.